Yeah, so right now in the trust fund, there's $2.5 trillion. Mm -hmm. Now, when we say that that money is in the trust fund, it's not actually in the trust fund. <laughs> what the government has actually done yeah. is taken that $2.5 trillion and they have lent it to other parts of the government. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode, we continue our discussion on Social Security. David, why don't you remind us, where did we leave off last episode? And let's dive into this one. Yeah, well, last episode, we covered a lot of the history of Social Security. And Social Security is really any government system that provides monetary assistance to people with inadequate or no income. And that's how it's used around the world. Here in the United States, we specifically mean what we call OASDI, our Old Age Survivors Disability Insurance Program. And it's mainly for retirees, disabled people, and their survivors. So if we look back at the history, this thing started back in 1935. We talked about some of the biblical beginnings that really the root of this comes from a desire to serve the people that are underserved or to serve the people that don't have an income, that can't make it day to day. Uh, the heart behind it was right, but then maybe the way that it was applied didn't necessarily yeah. steward the resources well. Exactly. <laughs> and so we talked about what it means to be eligible, how you can start taking at age 62, but then at age 67, that's when you reach your full retirement benefit, but then you can maximize by waiting all the way to age 70, which is what we typically recommend unless you're looking at your lifespan and not thinking that you're going to live to at least the average age. Right. So we talked about the importance of this. You know, it can change your benefit by over $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. That's $12,000 a year. That could be $120,000 over 10 years. And then we just dug into a little bit of the history. The fact that Social Security as a program itself here in the United States has actually had major changes. And we mm -hmm. talked about the major changes that happened back in 1977, where they changed the calculation, uh, the indexation of benefits yep. is what they called it. And then in 1983, they added an amendment that forced the age, the maximum or the uh, full qualifying retirement, yeah, yeah, the qualifying age to normal retirement age back from 65 all the way back to 67. And so as we look at this, we're beginning to paint a picture of where this thing has been, mm -hmm. of the fact that it's very much not infallible. This thing can fall apart, maybe not fall apart, but can uh, has on multiple occasions run into problems not being affordable. We can't fund it. And so they had to actually make changes. And so today we're going to dig into the future mm -hmm. of Social Security, where it's going. Is it possible that this is actually going to continue and continue to serve people well? Or Will there be some difficulties in the future? So, Leo, what does this look like in your mind? So, according to the Social Security trustees, uh, in 2010, the cost of Social Security started being higher than what is collected every year. Now, that didn't mean that we started to lose ground. But what it meant is that the cost of running the program was beginning to be higher than, than what was actually coming in. But we also had interest on the investment in the fund. So, think of it this way. The money that's paid into Social Security every year through Social Security taxes was coming in, but also the investment increase from interest was coming in. But the cost kept going higher. So yep. so even though more was going out, it was it was starting to look like, okay, the cost continue goes up. And right now we're okay because the interest is going up as well. But 
they started to see that the fund, it was going to at some point go into where more money was going on than coming in, including the interest. So as of 2019, the fund is expected, which is now, <laughs> to start losing more money than it gains through investments and payments into the program. So the next 15 years, the fund will get lower and lower until it's completely empty in 2034. Yeah, that's amazing. So basically, if you look forward to 2034, our payroll taxes are projected to only cover about 79% of the program's obligations. Right. That means that they're going to have to cut benefits by 20% or they're going to have to find another solution. Right. So we have already seen that this year, uh, the money coming in is not as much as what's going out. Mm -hmm. And that is a major, major problem. So Congress will need to make some changes to the scheduled benefits uh, and the revenue sources in order for the program to continue in the future. There's a few possible solutions, and we don't know exactly what they'll do. Um, A, they could immediately reduce the benefits by about 13%. Like they could start reducing benefits now. Yeah. They could say, hey, if we reduce it by 13% now, we won't have to reduce it by 20% in the future. Yep. So that's one option. Uh, I don't see that happening. We're not seeing that anywhere in any kind of legislation. That would have some significant backlash right now. <laughs> There's no way that in an election year, somebody's going to put that into law <laughs> because nobody would ever vote for the party that reduced social security benefits. No way. Even though we know that in 15 years, by 2034, that it's going to happen automatically right. and it'll be a dramatic reduction. So we know that it's coming. There is a problem. It's looming, but nobody wants to fix it today because they won't get elected. The other option, of course, is to increase uh, the combined payroll taxes from maybe 12.4. I think they estimate that they can increase it to 14.4, so another 2%, um, in order to make up for that 13% gap uh, or some combination of these changes, right? They, they could also decrease the benefits a certain amount and increase taxes a little bit to come up with that fix. And this will allow full payments of the scheduled benefits for the next 75 years. Yeah. So if they do nothing by 2034, it will completely exhaust all the resources. If they make these changes, which yes, they're pretty severe because it's going to be significant reduction or an increase in tax, but it'll last, it'll allow this program to continue to for 75 years. That's significant. Yeah. So right now in the trust fund, there's $2.5 trillion. Mm -hmm. Now, when we say that that money is in the trust fund, it's not actually in the trust fund. <laughs> what the government has actually done yeah. is taken that $2.5 trillion and they have lent it to other parts of the government. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, okay, now another part of the government is going to be in debt to the Social Security Fund. Yeah. And so so it's just the government lending and borrowing to the government, which is a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, but what they did is they said, okay, now we've got $2.5 trillion. Over the next 15 years, we are going to spend that down entirely. And what Leo's talking about is that by 2034, then the only money that will be in there is whatever comes in every year. Mm -hmm. And right now, we've got three workers for every one person drawing benefits. That's right. But right now, we're hitting the largest um, kind of turn where baby boomers are retiring. This is the largest shift of a generation. Yeah. So we're going to have way more people that are retired in the future and less people that are paying into it. So right now it's three to one, three paying in, one receiving benefits. Mm -hmm. In the future, it could be two to one yep. or 1.5 to one. That, and that's exactly where it's going. Yeah. And there's some other things that have surfaced this problem. And really we're talking about whether the Social Security program can be sustainable. Can it continue? And the concept of sustainability for the Social Security program has come to have 
two separate meanings. The first considers only the simple question of whether current tax revenue is sufficient to provide scheduled benefits. And then the second considers whether the current structure of the program is viable for the future without any changes. According to the projections by the trustees of the program, changes in benefits or changes in tax revenue in the future will almost certainly be needed to avoid. Now, here's what this means. If this is going to survive, yeah. one of the two things have to happen or a combination of the two have to happen. One, the program has to change the benefits in some way. And we're talking about a reduction of benefits. Or there has to be an increase or change in the tax revenue. How much money is coming into it has to increase in order to offset all of the increasing costs and the increase in beneficiaries receiving benefits. So this is part of the reason this is a problem is because they don't have a solution. There, like you said, there are three people paying in for one uh, taking money out, but there's something else that has brought us to this point. And if you look back to, I think it's 1895 to 1925, where the birth rate was much higher than it is today. It started out where there was four children per family. Wow, four children right? back up in to, the 1800s. Up, yeah, yeah, up to 1925. Actually, people were having many more children than four, but the birth rate and the survival rate mm. was lower. Mm -hmm. So they could have as many as 10 children and only have four, five or six survived. Wow. So people were having more children, but only four survived. But that was what was going into the fund as the program started. You know, when they looked at the numbers, they said, this is going to work out because you got this many people added every year to the working force and that's going to increase. And of course, people are dying off. So, they, you know, they, they took all of that into consideration. But by 1946 between 46 and 65, the ratio went from four to three kids per family. Yeah. And then since 1965, that's actually lowered to under two. Okay. okay. So that's where our baby boomer problem comes yeah. in. So within less than, we're talking less than 60, 70 years, we went from four children coming into the world and adding to the workforce to only two. Wow. So we've lost a great amount of workforce because of the, the dynamic change of the family and less uh, kids coming into the world. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and I know that, and this is going to sound funny, but I know that the government originally projected that some of that would be offset by immigration, people coming into sure. the country. Sure, And it would be offset by, honestly, this is what they said, by minorities would have more offspring mm -hmm. than the white people in America, essentially. Hey, Caucasians will have less children, but minorities or different races will have more children. Yeah. And even that has started to shift. We're having less immigration due to a number of different political factors. Yes. And generally, once people move to America, they don't necessarily continue on the trend that maybe historically their family has had of having multiple children. And so even, even among different races, you're seeing a lower uh, birth rate. Mm -hmm. And so it, this is not being solved by what the government thought initially would solve the problem. And so we are really seeing low birth rates. So we're going to have less people paying in in mm -hmm. the future, and we're going to have more people receiving benefits in the future. That is going to really throw off the numbers. Yeah. Uh, that's what's going to make this so difficult. And that's why we kind of project, well, we know for a fact, it'll either be higher taxes mm -hmm. or it'll be lower benefits. Benefits, Yeah, no doubt. All right. So let's put some numbers to this. With the average worker benefits currently at about $1,000 per month, 3.3 workers would need to contribute about $300 each month to provide $1,000 of benefit. But after the population age distribution has shifted to have just two workers per beneficiary, 
each worker would need to contribute $500 to provide the same $1,000 benefit. Yeah, that means more taxes. Yep. Because right now, if one person's putting in about 300, 300. but in the future, one person's going to put in 500, 500. that's a huge difference. Yes. It's more than 60%. Yeah. More than what you're paying today. And so this is, I mean, when we talk about investing here on the podcast and we look at what it means to do an IRA and whether you might choose the Roth or the traditional, a lot of the reason that Leo and I will often recommend the Roth is because you're probably paying lower taxes now then you will be paying in the future. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get that from. Yep. We look at Social Security. We look at Medicare. We look at the government debt with over $20 trillion of total debt. The government is going to need to get that money from something. And that means either reducing benefits or raising taxes. And I believe that raising taxes is going to be a part of it. And so that's why we often recommend doing a Roth where you pay taxes on your investment today, mm-hmm. uh, but then you don't have to pay taxes in the future on that investment. And so anyway, that's a little kind of just dropping that in here. Mm-hmm. These are the things that we look at when we recommend one investment vehicle versus another. Of course, we also look at your age. We look at your income. We look at a number of different factors. Yeah. Uh, but it's important to realize that this personally affects you on multiple yeah. levels. Well, this is a real indicator. It's not something that's maybe going to happen. It definitely is going to happen. So what are the chances that someone will actually make the decision to reduce the benefits? Oh, that's That's political suicide. And I don't know anyone courageous enough to do it. But there's a better chance that taxes will go up. Right. And it'll be approved by Congress. And all the politicians will take the hit because they'll have to. They'll be forced to it. Uh, And yeah, there'll be a little bit of shakeup. But you know, if they can bump Social Security benefits and Social Security taxes by 2%, they'll do it. Yep. It's easier than cutting everybody's paycheck by 13%. Right. That's going to that's gonna be a lot worse. So higher taxes in the future, it's not really a gamble. It's not <laughs> a. It's not like, a, oh, I just don't see it. More than likely, it'll happen. Yeah. I mean, just look at the history of taxes from the beginning. Have they gone down or have they gone up? Well, and they've gone up over time. Yeah, and we're oh, they've definitely you know. Well, what's interesting is they started out almost non-existent. I mean, it was just yes. this century that we really started in a federal income tax, right. where you actually paid taxes on your income, and it started out at like one percent, right. and it moved its way up to seven yeah. percent. Uh, it went crazy for a while, where it maxed out at ninety percent, uh, and then since dropped down to what I would call rational numbers. <laughs> uh, but again, it's Still. only projected to yeah. go forward. It's yeah. unlikely that it's going to continue to go down. And and when we look at our financial status in the country, um, you know, you've got we're talking about social security and how over the next 15 years, the fund will be depleted completely, and then we'll be relying on workers, less workers, to pay for more people, which mm-hmm. will be unlikely. So we would call that an unfunded liability. There's a liability, there's an expense that's coming, but we haven't funded it. We haven't put any money aside for that. And if you take a 75-year time horizon on the unfunded liabilities and then project that into the future, you project way out. Mm-hmm. Our unfunded liabilities for Social Security, uh, this is on the SSA.gov website, Social Security Administration, SSA.gov. If you look at their unfunded liabilities, even they say it's $34.3 trillion. (laughs) Yeah. That's massive. Our current, after after the entire history of the United States, uh, our current uh, budget 
deficit currently is one trillion a year. That's how much less we earn as a country than what we spend. So right. we spend more than we earn by a trillion dollars. Right. Our total debt currently is twenty trillion. Mm-hmm. And here we're seeing the unfunded liability for Social Security alone is thirty-four trillion dollars. Now that's Social Security alone. That doesn't include Medicare, which is probably another somewhere between twenty and forty trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include several other pieces of what government has promised. And so it gets really scary really fast. And we're not going to dig into all of government debt in this episode. We may do that in another episode. Mm -hmm. But it's important to realize, again, that the odds are the benefits are going to go down or the taxes are going to go up. And I'm kind of leaning on assuming that taxes will go up, namely because right now we have some tax reductions that have been put in place, but they expire after so many years. And so when they expire, the government probably won't be able to repass those same tax reductions. And so the taxes will go up. And as different people get into office, I think it's going to shift our political landscape. I don't know what to expect. I honestly, I don't know what to expect, but you need to be aware that there is a major problem and it's going to lead to increased costs for retirees uh, because there's going to be fewer workers available to support them and that we're going to have this issue for a long time to come. There's not an easy, easy solution. Yeah, and, and the chance of people having more children isn't isn't really, I mean, you look at statistics, it's been going down. What would cause it to go up? Yeah. There would have to be some massive government program that incentivizes uh, people to have more children. Yeah. I mean, there are some, when you think about the child tax credit, that I think has a positive effect, but but the cost of raising a child, and when you add that in, most people won't make that decision in order to save right. Social Security, you know? Right. They'll do it either because they want to or they won't do it because it's culturally no longer acceptable. I don't know. I mean, the family has changed, whether we like it or not, and it's not a moral, uh, that's not a moral statement. I'm just saying from a economical standpoint, the family change and that's affected our economy, personal economy, because when we had families that lived together, older people were taken care of. Social security programs were necessary. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was a totally different dynamic now because we're so segregated and so separated and live in different cities and states. I mean, I'm dealing with this right now with my parents. My dad had a, a slight uh, medical issue and he lives in Phoenix. You know, it's it's not easy to take care of those kind mm. of issues when you're a thousand miles away. Yeah. You know, and that's the reality of a lot of us today. We live in different states. We have challenges, medical challenges uh, with with older society, with our parents. And as that happens, it, it has a financial impact on them, but it also has a financial impact on us. And you can't ignore these costs. They're not going to go away. They're only going to mushroom. Yeah. They're going to get bigger. Yeah. And the idea of benefits reducing when they're already not very high to keep up with well, just the cost the of living, part, right? I just don't see it. Right. I mean, how do you take $130 from a woman that's only making $1,000 a month? Yeah. <laughs> She's not even making it on 1000 a month. And you're going to now have her make it on $870? I, just, I cannot see them doing that. But I do see them increasing uh, taxes and p- possibly go in the direction of taxing the rich and trying to get more money from where it is. Yeah, well, you know, and, and that, even that's, that. Some of the pressure comes in there. It's like, yeah. we need the money. We're going to tax whoever we need to in order to fix this problem. Yeah. And then I see that as a social injustice because now all of a sudden you're trying to solve the problem that somebody didn't create, but somebody else has to pay for it. So there's no easy answer. What we're trying right. to say is right. this is 
not to scare you, but it's just to, to give you the clarity of what's really going on, to help you understand the gravity of the situation so that you can start making some plans personally yeah. to be in a better position and not have to be in that position where you're depending on Social Security completely yeah. and either your taxes go up or your benefits go down and now you're in a, in a tight spot and you're yeah. having to move in your kids or whatever. I, you know, where do you go from there? Yeah. Well, and so a few things here. One, even if you taxed quote unquote, the rich, let's say the top 10% of people uh, at a hundred percent tax rate, you know, over $500,000 a year. I mean, just, you know, a hundred percent would be crazy. But even if you did that, that alone still wouldn't begin to make up this gap. So that is not actually a solution. They've done the numbers. They've said, hey, maybe we should start taxing these people dramatically higher. Yeah. And if you do that, A, it doesn't solve the problem, and B, it causes people to work less and produce less because they have no incentive to go into the marketplace and earn more than $500,000 a year or a yeah. million dollars a year Why? because they don't get anything out exactly. of it. So A, it has an inverse relationship on the overall budget for the government. But I like to think of our government budget, this is a very simplistic analogy, but I like to think of it kind of like a family budget. Yeah. Well, and a budget here's is what's a happened. budget. A budget's yeah, a budget, I agree. right. I, I agree, this is a good example. So if you look at the total amount of debt that we have as a country, mm-hmm. earlier I said it was $20 trillion. I'm looking at usdebtclock.org, and Leo will link it in the show notes. But usdebtclock.org, it shows that our current actual national debt is $22 trillion. Now, every year that grows by about a trillion because every year we earn $3.4 trillion and we spend $4.4 trillion. Mm-hmm. Right. So every year we're spending a trillion dollars more than we earn. Think about that. 25% more mm-hmm. than we actually earn is what we're spending and what we have committed to spend on these types of programs. Okay. So it's like a family budget. If you are overspending dramatically in your personal budget, well, the first thing, and Leo, you and I have counseled people, the first thing that we tend to do or that people tend to do is they begin to borrow from things like a 401k loan. Right. They'll go to something that maybe they've set aside money for their future and they start borrowing from that and they get a loan on their 401k. Yeah. Well, if you compare this to the government, that's what the government has done with social security. Right. Is they reached into the social security account yeah. and they borrowed from it. Right. Okay. Now it's just a 401k loan that they plan on paying back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, (laughs) we plan on paying this back. So, okay. So now we're going back to the personal example. Uh, Once you've kind of maxed out your 401k loan and you don't have anything to get there, then you might take out a home equity loan and take out equity out of your home. Well, the government has done this by taking the money and putting in IOUs into the civil service retirement and defense retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. So think of all the military retirement. Think of all the people that work for the government, the civil service government. All those governmental accounts now have IOUs in them. Right. So they've basically borrowed and borrowed. Then uh, if you personally have a ton of debt and you can't borrow from yourself anymore, you start borrowing from other people. So you open up a line of credit at the bank. And this is what our country has done by going to other countries. Right. And saying, hey, let's borrow from all these other countries. Um, So now you've maxed out your own ability to borrow. Now you're maxing out your ability to borrow from others. Well, if you personally run into this scenario, then you start borrowing from loan sharks Mm -hmm. and high interest debts. You might use a credit card that you can't actually pay. And so maybe you're paying 20% or you go to a payday loan where you're paying 400%, (laughs) right? So what's going to happen is our country as a whole they're going to run out of money to borrow from Social Security. 
They're going to run out of money to borrow from the civil services and defense retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, And they're already pretty much maxed out on that. Then they're going to run out of money to borrow from other countries because other countries are going to see the problem. Yeah. And so the other countries are going to begin to raise the interest rate. Exactly. And they'll say, sure, we'll let you borrow, but we're going to be loan sharks and we're going to raise that interest rate because yeah. we need to make sure we get paid. Exactly. And so this is the scary part of what's going on with our country is that, yes, right now we've been able to borrow from the future, borrow from the future, borrow from other countries. Right. But now we've run out of money to borrow. Mm-hmm. And now I say that it might not be this year. It might not be next year. It might be five years from now. It might be 10 years from now, but we're going to run out of money to borrow cheaply. We won't be able to borrow from ourselves. We won't be able to borrow from other countries. And unless the economy grows very quickly and overcomes some of this deficit, unless we get more workers into the economy, unless we grow more in our, in the overall output of our economy, uh, or spend less, which is not currently happening. Yeah. You know, if we don't fix these things, that's that's where we honestly don't know what's going to happen, but we know that it will not be comfortable. Right. <laughs> well, I think about it from the perspective you just used. In a family budget, when you're personally going through this, and if you as a listener have gone through this, you understand the pain of having that debt over your head. And as it gets worse and worse and worse, it forces you to take notice, first of all, eventually start making a plan like, I cannot continue this. And there's a personal stake in it. And you know, man, if I don't fix this, this is going to be bad. I'm going to lose my home, my family. My wife might leave me. My kids will be. I mean, it has personal consequences. The problem with this system is that there's not one person or one group of people that are taking responsibility. Our government officials are voted in and voted out. They finish their term and then go on their merry way. Nobody's willing to make this a personal matter. And therefore, even though this is screaming to all of us that have the, the sight to see and yeah. the ability to understand this is heading in the wrong direction, we see this and we're like, something needs to be done like yesterday. Right. But I think our politicians are just kicking the can down the road. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? I know it's a problem, but I'm not going to worry about it. I don't want to lose my position. And they just let it go. And I think... I think that makes me really frustrated in one point and also sad in another because frustrated because I know the problem is not going to be fixed and not until it's dire. Um, and, and sad because I think, man, where have we gone morally where we make decisions to continue to push this problem to the next generation and the next generation? Yeah. I think about, I just, we just had a granddaughter about seven months ago. And I think, what is she going to be facing when she's my age? Like, what would she have to do just to be able to survive? Because if this continues for another 30, 40 years, I I just don't see how. And I don't see how this is going to be fixed in an easy way. It's either going to be a, a massive war or a restructuring of the whole world. And who knows? God knows. But I, I just, it's just not good. And I'm, I'm not an alarmist, and I don't think about it every day, and I try to, you know, just understand that some things are out of our control, but I do see this problem and I say, man, oh man, I hope somebody's courageous enough. A group of people can be voted in to be courageous enough and saying, we've made mistakes for many, many years. We keep pushing this down the road and we can't do it anymore. And I might have to be part of the person that suffers through this, but I think it's better than kicking it down the road and hoping that somebody else will figure it out one or two generations down the road. Yeah. I just don't, I think we're running out of time there. Because right now, what we're saying is in 2034, oh, we'll we'll just reduce those people's benefits by 20%. 
and maybe you go back out into 2050 and hey, we'll reduce their benefits by 40%. What you're doing is you're pushing it down to the next generation saying, well, they can suffer. Yeah. They can deal with it. Hey, I don't want to reduce by 10% personally. Let them reduce by 20%. Let that next generation yeah. reduce more. I mean, that's selfish. Yeah. It's very selfish. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to stomach, but. Yeah. Well, we are out of time, but uh, before we leave, we just want to really say a lot of what we've said today is not to bring any kind of anxiety or fear, but really just to hopefully wake you up to the reality of what's going on. And even though there are some things that our politicians and our government has done to put us in a situation, we have a personal responsibility. Absolutely. So in the next show, we're going to talk about how would all this impact you and what you can do about it? Yeah. Because there are some things that you can do so that when things do get difficult, that you have some ways uh, that you've planned some things and you put some things in place to be in a better position to survive. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully thrive. That's our hope, is that you would actually thrive through a season like that instead of just surviving. But there are some things that we can do, and that's our personal responsibility. So we're going to leave you for today, but... Next week, we're going to give you some hope and give you some some guidance on what you can do to prepare for the future. Yeah, and I think the simple things, they start today by, like I'm right now, I'm on your website, Leo, mm-hmm. leosabo.com. I'm under the resource section. And before I could even click on the next tab, this pop-up comes up and it says free online course. Mm-hmm. And that free online course, I've been through it. I love it. It gives you the basics yeah. of simple, starting simple your process. Program. Right. So, so start there. Uh, continue listening to this podcast. I would recommend that you get the book, Jesus on Money, and mm-hmm. you can pre-order it today at stewardshippastors.com. You know, there are resources out there that you can have financial security, you can have peace in your finances, mm-hmm. you can have a, a basically a level of contentment and gratitude for where you are. You can begin to create things with your family that make sure that as a family, you're taken care of and the people around you are taken care of. What we want is for you to get to the place where you are solid so you can help other people yeah. who their feet's on quicksand yep. and you're standing on a firm foundation and you can help pull them out of the sand onto a firm foundation and help them get healthy. Yeah. So that's what we want to do for you. That's why Leo and I have the podcast. Uh, that's why I put together the book, Jesus on Money. Uh, I saw everything that Jesus said about money and it blew me away. Mm. I was just thinking, uh, there's like over 800 verses just in red where Jesus is talking about how to manage and having the right heart behind stewarding finances and money and what eternal rewards yeah. there are and what rewards there are on earth. Uh, I mean, there's so much there. And I thought, I need to categorize this and turn this into something that people can use. Yeah. And I know you did the same thing with the resources page. And Leo, I know that you've got a book in you on budgeting and actually building out a practical plan. And so what Leo and I are trying to do is give you resources, help you however we can. So we hope that you'll continue with us on this journey. Uh, you'll go to Google Play, you'll go to iTunes, you'll go to podcast, the, the castbox.com or wherever it is. And you'll rate this episode that you'll let us know that you liked it, that you didn't like it. Uh, how we can improve it. Um, we'd appreciate a nice five-star rating if you think it's worth it because that will allow the algorithm to help other people find us easier and benefit them. Uh, every week, we want to serve you with good content. So if you can share with us your feedback and thoughts, we'd love it. You can find us on social media. Uh, and really, we look forward to having you join us next time. So together, we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money right. right. Our government officials are voted in and voted out. 
They finish their term and then go on their merry way. Nobody's willing to make this a personal matter. And therefore, even though this is screaming to all of us that have the, the sight to see and yeah. the ability to understand this is heading in the wrong direction, we see this and we're like, something needs to be done like yesterday. Right. But I think our politicians are just kicking the can down the road.